But I'm praying today just by putting the Bunsen burner under the gift of leadership. And it's really an exhortation to lead. I'm not doing an exposition out of one passage of scripture. It's more an exhortation to lead. I'm trusting that um, leadership gifting from God will, will grow amongst those of us who are elders. There's another reason I want to look at lead separate to model, teach, and shepherd. And this is, this is, is sobering for us. But I found that with the recent spate of brothers who, high-profile brothers, church leaders on different continents, yeah, I'm thinking of England, this country of England, I'm thinking of brothers in the States over the recent months and years, Australia, I personally know high-profile men who are no longer in ministry. Maybe some of them will return to ministry. Some of them won't, um, but who have fallen because of sin. And I've noticed in discussions and so on that it can rob us of confidence to lead because these dear brothers who've fallen, most of them, because they were high profile, had pronounced leadership gifts. And it can cause us to lose confidence in, in, in the dynamic, catalytic aspects of leadership. Let's pray. Father, would you please exhort us and instruct us through your word? Do you pray you'd help me, Father, as we think about current issues in the church today, current issues in our eldership teams and lives? We do pray for instruction from heaven and encouragement. I pray you'd lift heads and teach us as elders and our dear wives potential elders and other key leaders. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this exhortation, I'm going to be using five headings. Uh, we'll see, time permits, if we get through all of them. But here they are. Just allow your eye to uh, run, down them, run down that list so you can get a feel for where we're going. Lead the flock. An exhortation to lead Heading number one, take heed, have faith, and be proactive. You see what I did there? I actually had eight headings, and I thought, it's too many. <laughs> um, can we turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, please? Corinthians 10 verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Take heed. A few weeks ago, after a, a wonderful brother in uh, the Midwest region of the USA uh, was, was stepped down by his eldership team. There was a whole run of very helpful blogs and one blogger wrote this, just an excerpt from his blog. Due to the unique pressures associated with spiritual warfare, unrealistic expectations from congregants and oneself the freedom many feel to criticize and gossip about pastors with zero accountability, especially in the digital age, 
failure to take time off for rest and replenishment, marriage and family tensions due to the demands of ministry, financial strains, and self-comparison. We are prime candidates for relational isolation, emotional turmoil, and moral collapse. Take heed. Let's just enjoy the good bit of this. Take heed. But let's read on. The next verse says, No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Take heed, comma, have faith. We are not accidents waiting to happen. And if, if we just stopped with that excerpt of this blog, we would feel it's inevitable. Surely we're accidents waiting to happen. That's not true. Things can happen, but the promise of God's word is that te testing, temptation that comes to us, there will also be a, a, an escape route provided by our Father, and we will be able to endure it. You are not an accident waiting to happen. Amen. You're not just, it's not inevitable that you will fall. It's not inevitable that I will fall. Take heed, but have faith. God will not allow us to be tested beyond what we can bear. So let's flip this paragraph we've just read. Due to our God-given authority in spiritual warfare, the sane expectations of grace-trained congregants and the grace-soaked self, the power of the gospel to free me from self-comparison, to fortify us in the face of criticism, Throw in how our eldership teams ensure that we're getting sufficient rest and replenishment. What nonsense is this with eldership teams that don't help with that? It's not acceptable. Our gospel motivation to prioritize marriage and family. The Bible teaches our marriages are living enactments, many versions, of course, of this great marriage. We have such motivation to guard our marriages. How our elders ensure we're well paid. Pastors are prime candidates for relational connection, emotional stability, and moral fortitude. We are privileged men and women to do what we do, to be in the front lines of grace. What a privilege. Verse 14 Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. We've taken heed, yet we're in faith. So what do we do? We flee from idolatry. Leaders must be proactive. We take heed. We're in faith. Therefore, what? Be proactive. Run away from things 
Run away from any form of idolatry. Be proactive. Proactive in, in what? Proactive in fleeing to the escape route provided by God. We've just read, you will not be tested beyond what you can bear. God will provide an escape route. Notice that the escape route that God provides is in the context of enduring. The escape route is being able to endure. It's not necessarily a quick fix, it's being able to endure. Let's apply this to leadership. What would endurability look like? What would fleeing idolatry look like? Well, it it would look like internal fleeing to Jesus. So if you earn some more, if you had some more money because you withheld tax, or if you took the books, that won't satisfy you. Flee that, because it won't satisfy, it'll satisfy you for a little bit, but it won't satisfy you. Um, Another guy, another woman, flee flee that, that's idolatry. Idolatry is something else will satisfy me other than Jesus. Idolatry is something good becoming something ultimate. Don't make something good, something ultimate. So internally we flee. We say, no, we flee to Jesus. The escape route, the escape route is Jesus. Internally. But there's also an external fleeing that we need to do. And that's responsible front-footed leadership. To ensure that our leadership environments... Help us endure as married couples. Help us endure in terms of godly teams. The environments we are in, if unhealthy for too long, can tempt us beyond what we can bear. There is an internal responsibility, but there is also an external responsibility responsibility the things we read about in the first version of in the, in the version of the block remember those terrible things those need to be fixed not left just so we endure internally well done for enduring internally and running to Jesus but the external components may still tempt you beyond what you can bear and the privilege we have as leaders and helping one another this great privilege we have of helping, helping and being helped, church to church, individuals to church, churches. That is a huge privilege, and, and, and we are called to help one another with healthy leadership and healthy church contexts for all sorts of reasons. This one specifically is so that we can endure. So, it's not enough for us just to say uh, our church doesn't get grace. And they have ungracious, legalistic expectations of one another and the pastor, the elders. We can't just say that without also saying, so we need to teach and lead and instruct and live and model and shepherd deliberately in that direction. And if we're not winning as an eldership team, the glorious thing is we're not stuck. We can call in help and we must do that. This is, this is spiritual warfare, fixing our environments. Marriage and parenting. We don't have to live all through ministry with a dodgy marriage. 
and parenting that's just, you know, creaking. There'll be seasons. We, we can't parent for each other. We can't be married for each other. There's the internal, remember, but we're talking external. We want to enjoy environments where marriage and parenting are helped. Decent pay. If the church can't, can't pay the full-time pastors what they need to be paid, it's not a case of living with it till Jesus comes. I mean, if once we've tried everything, that is still there, God will give grace. There will be an enduring from God. But we flee things because God is keeping us and we're taking heed. Elders, eldership teams, it's not enough just to say, we must have elder-led churches. They've got to be the right guys working together in the right way. Otherwise, it's legalism. And you could be tempted beyond what you can bear and one day just say, I'm out of here. Why? What? Oh, for years, I've dreaded my elders' meetings. What? No, it's an absolute church stopper if you're dreading your elders' meetings. I mean, dread them for a bit. There'll be some tough seasons, but it'll wear you down. There's an escape route called healthy eldership teams that helps us endure. We can get help. Prolonged dysfunction in any of these areas that we've just read about in this blog may well tempt you beyond your ability, but thank God for the internal escape route of Jesus, the external escape route of the wisdom of Jesus for building well, healthy teams. Not perfect teams in this evil present age, but teams that don't test us beyond what we can bear. Point number two, the importance of balance. Just going to put up... um, this, uh, I'm now blending effortlessly uh, wo- a word table I produced with PowerPoint. You see that? <laughs> so, um, some biblical principles of leadership. I don't think these would be um, contentious. Leaders are to be honored and protected. It doesn't mean that accusations against leaders can't come, but it's not just a free-for-all. There's two or three that needs, that needs to be looked into carefully. Leaders are to be respected and esteemed. And Hebrews 13, we are to obey our leaders and to submit to them. Uh, this isn't an exhaustive list of biblical principles about leadership. It's but some. Romans 12, there are different gifts and different measures of gifting. Remember, let him do that according to his faith. Uh, he who leads, leads with zeal. That's really, I trust, what will be some of the fruit of this session, helping us to lead humbly, but, but with fresh zeal. Um, and maximizing talents, that would be a general one applied to leadership, Matthew 25. Don't bury your talents in the ground. You've been given from the Lord. Leadership gifting, then lead, then lead. What happens if we go too much on the first few little little, uh, principles? Let's have a look. Yeah? If we do that too much, you get something that's sick. What if we do it too little? You get... Leadership sabotage, it comes in different forms, 
But the result is, oh, it's so difficult to lead. And sometimes leadership even gets killed off if there is too little of those things. Then think about different gifts and gifts measures. If we overplay that one, what do we get? We get leaders who are exposed because they are oh so gifted. And it's really hard to keep up with him. And he's usually right. And even when he's wrong, there's like this haze of anointing that seems to get him through. And it's just, you know, it's just the gap between leader and team just, just grows and grows. And you become exposed. Uh, if we do too little of honoring of different gifts and different measures, then we get flatlining. We get poppy cutting. We get uh, suffocation. We don't honor gifts, different forms. I'm thinking particularly gifts in the, in the leadership realm. And we just say, no, unless we all agree. Well, you've got faith for it. Like three of the team have faith for this, but six of the team don't. Until we all have faith for it, we're not going to move forward. Well, I don't know. That's nuts. I mean, it depends on the issue, doesn't it? But we want to be highest common denominator. Those who have the gift of faith, let's go with that. Not recklessly. And you get exposure. But if you don't play the highest common denominator, there can be a suffocating of gifting. Um, zeal, too much. Well, there can be all sorts of things that go wrong with too much zeal. One is pride. Zeal can slip into pride. Uh, zeal can slip into heavy hands. I'm trying to be so zealous in my leadership. I'm overstating leadership. You must do it. An exhortation becomes heavy. Uh, any pushback becomes disloyalty rather than just healthy pushback. It can, it can go pretty ill. But conversely, if there's too little zeal and too little promoting of zeal, then you get a deflated atmosphere because the leadership gift isn't, isn't helping arouse uh, and light fires. And you can get leaders leading with weak hands. We don't want it to be heavy-handed, but neither do we want weak hands. We want steady, loving, firm hands. We don't want to abdicate leadership. We must be zealous in leadership. And last one, Matthew 25, too much maximizing of talents. I think it can lead to an ungodly striving. I've only got one life. I must make the most of it. I must be heard on every different media platform that there is. I must be heard. There can be an ungodly striving. But conversely, there can be too little of that, and that leads to ungodly apathy. Oh, just little old us, little old me. Nothing to contribute. No, don't bury your talents in the ground. Now, here's a question. When well-known leaders fall, is it usually due to behavioral patterns in column one or column two? But the too much or too little? Too much. I would agree. Um, look at this. This is, was another letter that came out from an eldership team about um, the standing down of their lead pastor. And look at the list of uh, biblical qualifications for eldership that were violated that they spoke about. Is that your eye run down? That, that's, that's too much stuff, isn't it, mostly? Too much. Too much. It's, 
it's just a too much column. Question, if we can go back to the beautiful words table. Um, so yeah, leaders can fall because of too much. Do you think leaders fall because of the too little column? I think they do. We just don't hear about it as much because, because of the nature of column two is less profile and maybe less gifted. I don't know. But we, I think so, but we don't hear about it as much. What's the point? Balance. Don't throw out column one. So it's a column one and column two. Column three. Don't throw out those things. But we don't do them too much, nor do we do them too little. How do we keep balance? Well, I think being aware is, is the start, right? It's an eldership team or an individual. Stick it up on your wall. Just, and just ask yourself from time to time. Too much, too little. Another way we can stay in balance is having help from one another. Um, often in, in churches, it's an ecosystem of relationships, a local church, isn't it? That we can sometimes drift into column two or column three, imbalance, without us realizing we're doing it. And it can be very easy for someone else coming in to say, hey, do you know you guys bias in that direction? Are you just checking you're aware of that? I don't think it's yet a problem, but it could become a problem. And as an eldership team, you can just say, oh, that's great to know. Heading number three, reflections, a few reflections on leadership and the word. And actually, Terry, I didn't know what he was going to speak on this morning. Um, he spoke to this superbly. So I will just be editing what I say, sifting what I say to try and complement what he's already said. I think there's two points here. First point is that leadership... <coughs> must be fully submitted to the word of God. I don't think we'd disagree with that. Because Jesus is the living word, and because we are his under-shepherds, the main way we, we honor Jesus and reflect his over-shepherding is by being leaders who, as far as we can possibly can, we line up, we lead with the word, through the word, and by the word. <laughs> Look who's about to move to America. <laughs> the government for the people. We, we, lead, we lead with the word, through the word, and by the word. We are, as leaders, we are never more excited about anything than the gospel of Jesus. We don't teach anything in isolation to the word of God. We don't exhort for obedience apart from the word of God and so on. And it is possible to have insufficient word in the way we lead. So let's look at some indicators of not enough word in leadership. I think, firstly, unbiblical leadership structures. Now, you can have a, a biblical leadership layout or structure that doesn't feel very biblical. We'll come to that in a minute. So the magic is not in using the word elders and then the word deacons. But I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the rightness of having biblical terminology and biblical structures. 
patterns. The second indicator of not enough word in leadership is under-honoring of the Bible in, an, in our preaching. If preaching becomes mostly leadership exhortations rather than preaching biblical truth, I think that's an indicator of not enough word in, le- in leadership. If we're playing fast and loose with biblical accuracy or biblical application, if you get the vague sense that the word is a very helpful support to the leaders to illustrate the things that they want to say, I think there's a problem. If, as Terry said, just jotted down, he said, if the goal in the church seems to be radicalism or novelty or expansion, if that seems to be the preeminent thing, it could be an indicator that the word is not sufficiently within what we're doing as leaders. But, this is the other side of it now, but leadership is not synonymous. There's much overlap. But leadership is not synonymous with teaching. Nor is a leader synonymous with a teacher. There's much overlap. So there is a theological, a biblical distinction between preaching and leading. You think of Old Testament examples of leadership. There are examples of leadership more than teaching, often. Romans 12, Paul mentions a list of gifts. It's not an exhaustive list, but it is very instructive that he says, if your gift is teaching, then teach. Then something else, and then if your gift is leading, then lead with zeal. Teaching and and leadership. We think of some of the leadership decisions in the New Testament that were a-biblical. They weren't non-biblical, but they were, in a sense, they stood apart from Scripture. Acts 16, should we go south into Asia Minor, north into Bithynia, the Spirit of Jesus stopped them. Then Paul has a dream. Let's go to Macedonia, the leading city. It wasn't a Scripture, it it was a dream was a-biblical. It was within the greater context of being the biblical truth of being led by the Spirit and going on mission. But it stood apart, in that sense, from a verse from Scripture. Elders were called to oversee and shepherd and model and teach. Not just teach. It's not elder... He must teach. It was elder. He he's to be able to teach, but also these things. You think of the Ephesians four cluster of gifts: apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, or pastor teacher. If we just say it's just the pastor teacher one in play, then we that's just but a small step to saying that that leadership is about pastoring and teaching. A very small step from there to saying leadership is just about teaching. Equipping. Equipping the saints. We know from experience it needs to involve men. I mean, don't hear what I'm not saying. But it needs to involve more than teaching. We model. We experientially know that there's a bit of a difference between leader and teacher or leading and teaching. So some of the best taught churches 
are least effective in winning the lost. Even though they faithfully teach we should win the lost, what's missing? Leadership to help activate the mission of God. Some of the best taught churches have a very good theology of the Spirit. But there isn't any real spiritual life in the church. What's going on there? You need leadership to activate spiritual gifts and genuine charismatic life. It's not in contradiction to the word of God. This word speaks about leadership gifting. Helping activate. We know from experience that as a church we feel secure if we feel the church is led by the word of God. But also that there's some guys who are in charge and making decisions. It's, it's that combination that makes us feel secure. Obviously, if they're making decisions outside of the word of God, not, not pretty. We've been there. We've said that. So I'm, of course, in no way undermining sound doctrine and the importance of truth. But I have noticed that, that biblical accuracy alone doesn't produce necessarily a biblical atmosphere. That biblical accuracy alone doesn't necessarily produce biblical action. Leadership has a role, not the role, has a role to play in the atmosphere. Paul said, you know how I lived among you, not go and read it again. He said, come on guys, now I lived among you. There was a, there was a catalytic thing that went on when, when Paul, it wasn't just because he is the great, one of the great, big capital A apostle guys. He, he, it's, a, it's a leadership principle. I lived among you. It, 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 that awakened things. It helped you. A few indicators of not enough distinction between word and leadership. There's no such thing as too much word, but there might be, there might be a, a, an abdication of leadership to the word of God that actually isn't biblical. That's what I'm talking about here. Distinction. I think the extreme form of this would be only the pastor teacher, only the elder gift exists today. There's no need for, other, need for others. I think the extreme uh, word purists who, who would sabotage leadership um, may be overly pedantic about biblical accuracy and ecclesiology and practice. As Terry said, the, the, the goal is orthodoxy. Well, certainly the goal is orthodoxy, but there needs to be leadership. Um, an extreme, extremist would have a reductionist view of preaching that the goal of a message is not to violate exact biblical truth. Well, that's certainly a goal of preaching, but it would neglect the many things the Bible says about preaching, like being cut to the heart, like, like seeing people come to faith. If it's all excellent, perfect truth and no one's coming to faith, it's not excellent, perfect truth. As Terry was saying, lack of a leadership goal. I mean, Terry, he's, 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 le- he's no longer here in the room, but just over the years, I've watched him be so faithful to Scripture, but, but he's been thoughtful. He's had a goal. He hasn't just preached from Genesis through to Revelation. He's felt 
there's lead, all these leadership instincts going, I think this would be the most helpful thing for this church or this movement of churches now. It's leadership. And then the word takes the highest place. Uh, the Great Commission is teach and obey. A purest view of the word nullifies leadership would be stronger on teach than obey. There's a grace from leadership that helps people obey. Uh, lack of atmosphere. Um, o- o- often, often there can be shouts of grace, grace from the pulpit, but the atmosphere isn't grace, grace. Preaching grace is not the... There's a living of grace that needs to be done. Lack of faith or risk or daring. Again, I I would say you're actually not preaching the word properly because this book is full of promoting risk and daring and faith. Um, And here's just a little one. I just say this gently, but I'm personally delighted at uh, the resurgence of Christ-centered teaching from the Old Testament. Isn't it great? We resist moralistic imitation of Old Testament characters. Great. So let's do the classic. David and Goliath. Who are we in that story? You know it's true. You've read it in the books. What, who are we in that story, actually? Us lot. There's, there's Goliath, there's David, and who are we? We're the Israelites who are scared and timid, and we don't know how to fight and be free. And then along comes uh, Jesus, uh, David, who is Jesus. And so it can go. I mean, full stop, that is it. But to then learn nothing from the leadership example of David doesn't make sense to me. It should, I agree, be the subplot. The main plot is David is Jesus. But if it's true that David is Jesus, are we not meant to imitate Jesus? I thank God for all that Jesus has done for us. But where are we to get our leadership wisdom from, if not from Scripture? And as a leader, I want to imitate Jesus. So if you're saying that David is Jesus, then having reveled in the truth that I'm an Israelite and he alone is the one who, who slays the power of darkness through and cuts off the head of it. Once I've celebrated that, I think, hmm, whoever claims to live in him should walk as Jesus did. Look how courageous he was. Look at his humility. Look at how he, he thought about that armor issue. I want to... I want to be a leader who knows how to break the line when others don't. Not to be radical, but there are some moments when 10,000 stand still and one moves forward. And we learn that also from the Old Testament. Summary, eagerly pursue doctrinal accuracy, but do not reduce leadership purely to doctrinal accuracy. Um, heading number four, reflections on individuality and togetherness. I'll just touch on this because of time. The challenge of any relational unit is to maximize mature togetherness. Please say mature togetherness. And mature individuality. Say that. Now, we know this to be true. United States coinage says on it in Latin, out of many, one. The jungle book. The strength of the wolf is in the pack. The strength of the pack is in the wolf. 
Now, I believe that healthy eldership teams stand the best chance. I think it's genius from heaven. Healthy eldership teams stand the best chance of having mature togetherness and mature individuality. And within individuality is leadership gifting in various forms in a team. So what does mature togetherness look like? Well, as you know, it looks like being a team with a leader. Local churches, we believe, are led by a team with a leader, not by a leader with a team. That's where we start. We also know that a team, without any leadership gifting in it, not just in the lead guy, but in it, is just a team. It's not a leadership team. And we don't want just teams. Eldership teams are leadership teams. We need gifting. And there actually isn't really a collective team gifting of leadership. There's individual gifts of leadership within the team that deferring to one another and allowing egos to be subjugated. Together we get this glorious flow of mature togetherness and mature individuality and gifting. Simply, we want teams made up of healthy, well-defined individuals who are mighty, but they're mature, so they know how to submit and play together. As I said earlier, we want those with the greatest gifting in an area to be honored by the team. For every issue in church life, we don't always look at the same people. Even though I often lead the leadership teams, eldership teams I'm part of, the number of times I just go, something comes up and we, just, we all just go, to him, or to him. Sometimes it goes to me, but we place a gift. And we know that leaders and leadership gifting comes in different shapes and sizes. We look different. We sound different. Some of us seem to lead quietly. Some of us seem to lead more boisterously. That's fine. What, what indicators of not enough team and leadership? Well, it's the sense that the team is really there to, uh, as an optional extra or that the team is tolerated by the leader. Have you ever been part of teams like that? And you just think, the leader doesn't really believe we need a team. He just has it because the Bible says we must. <laughs> Insufficient collaboration on medium to large decisions. Can I just say with smaller decisions, don't feel you all need to agree on them. It's just, come on. But on bigger decisions. Um, you know you're, you're, you're in trouble when the lead elder starts to say things like, my elders just don't understand me. They don't understand the pressures on me. That's actually a, a, an admission that he's not a very good discipler of his team. Do you hear what you're saying? No one understands me. Come on, disciple them into understanding you, leadership. How can I be accountable to and cared for by the same group of guys? Well, you might as well put up a flag and say, I just don't understand mature leadership. I lead them, but I'm also accountable to them. I care for them, they care for me. I don't need to be away from them to, to lead them. It, it can be a, a situation when you've got a leader and an eldership team and the gap's too big. We don't really want this guy to dumb down, do we? No, if you've got the leader. The optimum isn't that he dumbs down his gift. The optimum is that there's a coming together relationally, respecting different gifts. It may be that you need someone else in the mix 
just to help, help with the team dynamics. What does mature individuality look like? It looks, it looks like a mature man or woman of God, internally regulated by Jesus, not externally regulated by the opinions of others. The best team members are those who know what they think and know what they feel. As Terry said, they're still lenient to having their conscience shaped, but they are emotionally disconnected enough so that they can be regulated by Jesus, but they are emotionally connected enough so they can empathize and sympathize and lead in a caring way. Neither an autocrat nor a weakling. Indicators of not enough leadership in team. That's the other side of it. If the team feels their job is to be a brake. No, we're, we're the accelerator. He's the accelerator and we're the brake. Nonsense. Something's not right in the team. Together you accelerate. Together you will brake. Sometimes some will be more brakey than others. Uh, if the goal becomes to- togetherness more than progress, you know there's a problem. If there's an obsession with data, an obsession with process, if there's a lack of decisiveness, if there's a discomfort with risk, we need to be comfortable with risk and faith. If those things are in play, it's not saying there isn't enough leadership, it's saying there might not be enough leadership. And finally, a challenge. I'll just read this out. Dear leader, dear elder, dear eldership team, are you focusing more on information and techniques than on prayer, personal integrity, emotional maturity, and the lordship of Jesus? Are you regulated more by other people and circumstance than by Jesus? Did you get that one? Are you regulated more by other people and circumstance than by Jesus? Have you stopped supplying vision, faith, and fire? In short, have you stopped leading? If so, do two things. Come to Jesus and then go home and give your I have a dream speech. Let's come to Jesus. Can we just stand together, please? If you're more comfortable sitting or kneeling, that's great. We're just going to take a moment of coming to Jesus. Just look to him. Father, we know that the word nuance is overused currently in our generation. But we do want to use it here and recognize that the need for balance and nuance. And we ask you, Father, would you please deliver us from apathy or an obsession with things that we shouldn't be obsessing about And I do pray for a fresh zeal, balanced, glorious zeal for us as those who lead. I pray you would help us find one another in team. I pray for joyful teams enjoying the best of mature togetherness 
the best of mature individuality. We say, Lord, we can't do it without you, but when we look at the Trinity, we say, as you are, might we be. Please, let us make man in our image. We want to be found in your image in every sense. And in this context, as those who team and love together as husbands and wives and eldership teams and so on, even as our collective, Lord, this privilege we have of being a worldwide family, we ask for these things to be in play. Such security and such zeal. We don't want anyone exposed, but we don't want anyone suffocated. Oh, God, would you keep helping us? Leadership courage and leadership humility in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.